be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's a pretty amazing thing. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. My name's Luke, I'm one of the ministers here at Plainfield Christian Church. Good to be together this morning. Hope you all had some good uh, restful and uh, restorative days over the holidays, getting to be with the people that you love. But uh, man, can I just be honest this morning? I'm feeling a little bit tired after the last week or so. Anybody else in here tired this morning? Man, just me. You know, uh, I think one of the reasons I'm tired is actually last night I had this dream. I had a dream that I died. Um, and, and it was weird. In my dream, I died and I was climbing up this really long stairway to heaven, this really long stairway. So I'm climbing up these stairs, climbing up the stairs, trying to get to heaven and I'm, I'm getting along okay. But the further I go, I just keep getting more and more worn out. I don't know what it is. Like you guys probably ate too much for Christmas, kind of got the dad bod thing going on, you know? And, and but I, I, finally I just get so worn out, I just can't go anymore. And I stop there, I'm huffing and puffing there in the middle of the stairway when I hear this commotion behind me and I turn around and there in my dream is Steve White just chugging up the stairs. Stairs, right? He just keeps going. And, and, I, and I said, Steve, whoa, hold on. Hey, it, it's me, Luke. And you know, he stops. And I said, man, I'm like, I just, I'm so worn out. I don't think I can keep going. I don't think it, I'm going to make it up there. I said, could you help me? And of course, you guys, you guys know Steve, you know, he's about this thin, you know, and uh, he, he's not the biggest guy, but he's got the biggest heart. And so he said, sure, Luke, no problem. I'll take you up there, hop on my back. And lo and behold, I hop on Steve's back and he carried me all the way up the stairs to heaven. And then in my dream, we get there to heaven and St. Peter, he just throws open the pearly gates. He says, hey, Luke, welcome. So glad you're here. Come on in. You can park your donkey over there. Oh, come on. We only got a week left, guys. We got to take our shots while we can. <laughs> now I'm a preacher. So if you let me kind of manipulate that joke and preach it for just a second, can I do that? Okay, here's, here's the nugget of truth in there. The nugget of truth is that none of us got here on our own, that we all came on the backs of those who have gone before us. And like Steve said, for 193 years now, the people of Plainfield Christian Church have preached and they have prayed and they have sang and they have served and God has done amazing things here. And for the last 35 years, Steve and Diana White have been a big, big part of that. And we've been talking about this for several weeks weeks now, but next week, January the 9th, is gonna be Steve's last sermon. So please come be a part of that. Join us to hear that. And then join us back in this room from three to 6 p.m. that afternoon. We're gonna have a reception just to honor Steve and Diana for all the ways that they have loved and served this church and what God has done through them. We wanna celebrate. And so I hope that you'll join us back next week here for that. Um, but if you'll let me also preach that joke and transition kind of awkwardly into the sermon from the joke, here's the second nugget of truth in there. The second nugget of truth is that for every one of us, there are people who are going to be coming along behind us. Uh, there's gonna be people who are following in our footsteps. So I wanna talk a little bit about today, just the lives that we live. And so how are we going to let those people come along behind us? What are they going to see as they follow us? Uh, the Apostle Paul in the Bible, he says this amazing thing to the people who are following him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, Paul says this. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That's a pretty amazing thing. He's saying to the people around him, hey, if you wanna know what it looks like to follow Jesus, just do what I do. And so I guess my question for you this morning is, can you say that? Um, can you look at the people in, your eye, in, in the eye who are in your life, who are seeing the way that you live, and can you say to them honestly, hey, do what I do. If you wanna follow Jesus, 
Be imitators of me. Follow me as I follow Christ. I wanna be able to say that. And, and I hope that you do. And I think instinctively we all know that if we want to be able to say that, follow me as I follow Christ, then we all need to be growing, don't we? Continually, day by day. And of course, it's New Year's time. I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution person or not, but this is kind of the time of the year when maybe like me, you're thinking, all right, I gotta be a little more careful about the stuff I'm putting in my body, need to work out a little bit more. And, and, and even though most of my New Year's resolutions die an early death, um, they, they do still reveal something that I think we all know to be true about growth. And it's this, growth happens through discipline. Growth happens through discipline. And this is true in every area of our lives. It's true with our bodies. It's true in our relationships. It's true in the workplace. This is also true in our faith life of our walks with Jesus. Growth happens through discipline. One preacher says it like this. He says, no one drifts into spiritual maturity. No one drifts into spiritual maturity. Growth happens through discipline. Discipline. I love this quote here. The great Bible scholar D.A. Carson, he says it like this. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. We drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. No one drifts into spiritual maturity. So then, if we want to be people who can honestly say to those around us, follow me as I follow Christ, then we have to ask the question, how do we grow? And, and you've heard a lot of people talk about this. Aristotle says, uh, you've probably heard this quote before, that we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, therefore, is not an act but a habit that growth happens through discipline. And the Apostle Paul actually says something very similar about our spiritual growth. He says in 1 Timothy chapter four, train yourselves to be godly. You're not gonna drift into godliness. Growth happens through discipline. He says, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training has some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So that means that for you and I, if we wanna be people worth following, people who can say, follow me as I follow Christ, we need to be people of some good spiritual habits day in and day out. We need to be people who make shrewd commitments and then keep them no matter what. And if you'll let me just get on my preacher soapbox here for just a minute, I think one of the best commitments that you can make this year is to sign up for Equip You. Uh, Equip You is something that we offer as a church. It's one of our main vehicles to help drive you deeper into God's word. If you wanna know what you believe and why you believe it and how that impacts your life and your family and your work, I'd encourage you, sign up for Equip You. This is an online learning format. It's four semesters long, but you can take it one track at a time. It works around your schedule. You can do it in the middle of the night when you're up feeding the baby. Moms, if you need to do this, it can still work with your schedule right? And, and you go through it with a cohort of your fellow brothers and sisters here in the church, but the semester launches here pretty soon, so signups for this semester of Equip You close on January the 16th, so please go ahead and sign up. I do believe it's one of the best commitments you can make this year to grow in your relationship with Jesus, but for our purposes 
today, I wanna just focus on two commitments that we wanna make as a church, two commitments I want you to make as a person to grow in our godliness so that we can say, follow, you as I, as, follow me as I follow Christ. And here's the commitments. Uh, we wanna be a church with a Bible in one hand and a basin in the other. A Bible in one hand and a basin in the other. And here's what I mean by that. We wanna be people with a Bible in one hand. If you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, we have to be people who are being shaped by Jesus day in and day out through his word. Now, the apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul starts off here by saying, hey, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't drift into thinking like the world thinks because every day the world's trying to get you to think like they think on, on, on social media and in the training platforms at your job and the billboards you drive by and the commercials you watch for football later on today. The world wants to conform you into its thought patterns. And so the question that we have to constantly be asking ourselves as followers of Jesus is, whose voice are we gonna listen to? As we make decisions and prioritize our days, whose voice are we going to listen to? One of my favorite authors right now is a guy named Trevin Wax. And he wrote a really good book called Rethink Yourself. I'd encourage you to check it out, Rethink Yourself, where he analyzes the thought patterns of the world versus how we are called to think as the people of God. And Trevin Wax says it like this, that if you're gonna listen to the world's voice, then the world wants you to think like this, in, around, up, in, around, up. So look in, then look around, and then look up. So if you wanna answer the big questions of life, first of all, look in. Look at yourself. You determine what's true for you. Find your truth. Nobody else can tell you what's true for you and you can't tell them what's true for them. Look in. And then the world will say after that, look around. And look around and find a tribe of people who agree with you and will agree what you think and echo your truth. Look in, then look around, and then and only then look up and kind of find yourself some hodgepodge spirituality that meshes well with your truth. The world will say, look in, look around, look up. And that's not new to our day and age. It's been around for a long time. Uh, again, uh, in the Bible, Paul is talking to a young man named Timothy, a young minister, and he uh, describes to Timothy how we are called to think as the people of God versus how the world wants us to think. And take a look at what he says here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. In other words, listen to God's voice. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. They don't wanna hear God's voice. They just want to look in. Paul says, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So the world is gonna tell you, hey, look in, then look around, and then look up. But you remember we read a little bit ago, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. So Trevin Wax in his book says, we don't look in, around, up. We actually flip that on its head. We look up and then around, and then in. We, we always start as the followers of Jesus by, by looking up because God made us, we belong to him, he has the right to tell us how to live, so we listen to his voice, we hold tight to his word, we look up, that's why Paul says here to Timothy, keep preaching the word, don't let go of the Bible, and then he says, then 
we look around. We look to the community of faith. This is why it's so important that we're doing life with brothers and sisters who've been there, who can say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's why Paul says to Timothy, correct each other, rebuke each other patiently. So we look up, then we look around, and then and only then do we look in. And we bring our hearts in line with that truth. We want to be people who hold tight to the Bible, who listen to God's voice, who are always looking up. And, and, and this is... This is how change happens. I've gotten to listen lately to a, a fair number of teachers talking about some of the great revival movements in history. These, these just moments of renewal among God's people where God's power is unleashed and, and, and churches are, are changed and entire societies are transformed by people giving their lives to Jesus in a radical way. These movements like the, the Protestant Reformation and the Great Awakening and so many others. And, and these movements, they happen in a lot of different ways, a lot of different places, a lot of different scenarios. But across the spectrum, there are some common elements throughout history that are present every time one of these movements starts. And one of those common elements is that it always begins with a renewed commitment to God's word. It, it starts with God's people saying, we're gonna look up. We are gonna listen to God's voice. We're gonna dive deep into the Bible. And that's where change happens. That's where renewal starts. Man, don't you wanna see that? in this town and in our country, and it starts here, in this church. And I've seen it happen. Uh, I've seen it happen in my family. Um, I come from a farming family. A few months ago, I inherited this old John Deere tractor that used to belong to my great-grandfather. He bought it in 1945. Can I tell you about my great-grandpa? Uh, my great-grandpa uh, was an Iowa farmer with an eighth-grade education. His name was I.O. Weed which is kind of an ironic last name for a farmer, you know? Um, and his first name was literally just I-O. The letters didn't stand for anything, I-O weed. Uh, and he grew up really poor, and so he used to say that uh, when he was born, his parents just kind of went to the name store and they were having a sale on vowels that day, and they just said, well, I guess we'll just take an I and an O because that was all they could afford, you know? So I-O weed was his name. And he, he was this great, you know, dog-loving, fish-catching, guitar-playing, good old boy. Uh, in, in, in his world, first, second, and third John were John Wayne, Johnny Cash, and John Deere, right? That, that's who my grandpa was. Um, and and I.O. Weed was also this really well-known prankster. And so I could remember on my great-grandpa's farm, he had these two big fuel tanks out by the road. And on one of them, he'd painted a smiley face, and it said, I've got diesel, and on the other tank, he painted a frowning face that said, I've got gas. <laughs> it's just kind of who he was. Um, you know, they tell the story of a time when a traveling preacher was uh, staying for the week at my great-grandpa's house. And, uh, uh, you know, I.O. was always up early in the morning doing farm chores. And so at four o'clock one morning, I.O. just barges into the preacher's guest bedroom and flips on the light. And in this deep, booming voice, he asked, Bill, do you love me? <laughs> and you know, pre Preacher Bill's still kind of rubbing the sleep out of his eyes. He says, uh, I, I guess so, I-O. My great-grandpa thunders down, feed my sheep. <laughs> that, that's just who he was. He was a fun guy. Um, he was a fun guy, but he's also a family guy. My great-grandpa, I-O Weed, he, he loved his wife. Uh, he was faithfully married to my great-grandmother for over 60 years. And, and my grandma says that when she was a little girl, um, I.O. would uh, get up and, uh, from the dinner table and he'd, he'd walk over behind my grandma and he'd give her a big old hug and he'd say, girls, I married the most beautiful woman in all of Davis County. He loved his wife. 
and, and he loved his kids. Io grew a lot of things on his farm. He grew corn, he grew beans, he grew sheep, but he also grew three daughters. And he was uh, committed to, to leaving a legacy for them. And, uh, you know, farm life is busy, but even during harvest season or haying time, he still made time out of the day to go play with his girls. And my grandma tells a story of one time one of her little friends came over to the house, and when she left, she said, I wish I had a daddy like yours. And, and that's just who he was. He was committed to leaving a legacy for his kids. And, and he literally prayed for his grandkids by name every single day from the moment they were born until the day that he died. I.O. Weed was a man who could honestly say, follow me as I follow Christ. And it's because he was committed to being somebody who listened to God's voice, who would look up. I could remember um, we'd be playing outside, you know, and we'd, we'd come in into the house and he'd sit down in his chair there and he had this shelf next to his chair. He was a longtime elder in the church, Sunday school teacher. And there on that shelf, he had his Bible and his Bible encyclopedia and his commentaries. And he'd sit there with his dog, Minnie, on his lap and work on his lesson. He just had an eighth grade education, but a PhD in the word of God. And you can trace the ripple effects of that down through his lineage. If you'll see his three children, three girls, all believers, all married believers. They're all active leaders in their churches still today. And then if you just kind of trace it down the family tree, eight grandkids. And five of the eight grandkids are in vocational ministry still today. And of his grandkids, many of them have gone to Bible college. There's more on the way. His descendants have been church pastors and Bible translators and started Christian schools. They've been Christian camp managers and Bible college teachers and children's ministers and youth ministers and Christian authors. His descendants have literally touched hundreds of thousands of lives for Jesus. He's just an Iowa farmer with an eighth grade education. Never spoke at a conference, never wrote a book, never won an award, never made headlines, never made a million dollars. And I don't tell you that to say, look at how cool my family is. I tell you that to say, look at what God will do with a person who's committed to living to his word, to knowing him, to listening to his voice, and to saying to those around you, follow me as I follow Christ. And I believe with all my heart that the best thing you can do for this church and the best thing you can do for this town and the best thing you can do for your family is to be somebody who is so committed to knowing Jesus through his word that when life cuts you, you bleed Bible. And I know for many of you, that idea of reading the Bible on your own day in and day out sounds totally foreign, sounds intimidating. How do you even know where to start? You don't understand. My life is crazy. I totally get that. I do. And so we're going to post on social media later on this week some tips on how to get started and how to, how to, how to, how to make this a habit in your life. And um, I hope you'll go and check those out later on because this is important and anybody can do it. And we're also going to be moving into the new worship center, you know, in two weeks. And so when we do that, we want to rededicate ourselves as a church and we want to dedicate that room to being a place of God's word. And so from that stage, we're going to read through the entire Bible cover to cover on the week of January 16th. And we want you to be a part of that. We want you to come join us. The building is going to be open all week from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. We want you to come. We've divided up the whole Bible into 15-minute chunks. So come sign up for a 15-minute chunk. You can bring your home group, do it with them, bring your kids, your grandkids, make it a family affair. We have 397 slots to fill. So we've got room for you, and we want you to be a part of it. You can go sign up there at plainfieldchristian.com opening day. 
Or if you need help, you can actually go out into the hub over the next couple weeks. Got a bunch of iPads out there and people at the Connection Center who'd help you sign up. We want to dedicate ourselves to being a people of God's word, to being a church that lives with a Bible in one hand and a basin in the other. So we talked about the Bible, right? But what about the basin? Well, some of you might be familiar with the Bible story that I'm referencing there. We actually preached on it a few months ago. It's from John chapter 13, where Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Jewish Passover. It's Jesus's last supper here, and Luke's gospel actually tells us that the disciples were arguing that night about which one of them is the greatest. And so the argument goes on and on around the table. You know, I'm better than you, I'm better than you. Which one of them is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And as they're arguing, out of the corner of their eye, they can see it. Over there in the corner of the room, sitting on the floor, there's a basin and a towel. And they know what it's there for. You see, in those days, you'd just walk around. You didn't have cars, and the roads were dirty and dusty and grimy. You wore open-toed shoes, so when you would have guests over into your home, it was the job of the lowest servant in the house to take that basin and towel and to wash the feet of those who were arriving. But on that particular night at the Last Supper, there was no servant on duty. We don't know why. But all we do know is that nobody volunteered to do the job. And so as Jesus' disciples are arguing about which one of them is the greatest, in the back of their minds, they're thinking, "Uh uh-uh, not me. That's that's not my job. That's that's somebody else's job. I'm, I'm not low man on the totem pole. And so as the argument continues about which one of them is the greatest, all of a sudden, the one who is actually the greatest, the most important person in the room, the second member of the Trinity himself, Jesus, the Son of God, stands up and he takes off his robe and he girds himself in a towel, which was the dress of a slave. And he gets the basin and the towel and he kneels down and he begins to wash the grimy, nasty feet of his disciples one by one. James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, and Judas. And I bet when he was done, you could hear a pin drop in that room. And when he had finished, Jesus said this to his disciples in John chapter 13. He said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. In fact, just a few verses later, Jesus goes so far as to say that this is how the world's gonna know we're his followers. This is how we say to the world, follow me as I follow Christ. They're gonna know that we're the people of Jesus, not by how we vote or our opinions or our ideas or our t-shirts. They're gonna know, he says. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I don't know what brought you here this morning, but I hope that you're here today because you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, that you wanna be like him. And the truth of the Bible in one hand is that we get to know Jesus through his word. But the truth of the basin, in the other hand, is that spiritual maturity is never just about how much we know. It's about how well we love. And this is our calling, to take up the basin and the towel, just like he did. Because we are living in a world full of people who are really 
tired. And you know, might not be able to tell that based on their resumes or their social media posts. But the people you rub shoulders with day in and day out are scared and they're lonely and they're hurting and they're confused. And they are in need of us as the people of God to say to them what Jesus said to us. Hey, come in. All you who are weary and heavy laden, let me show you where to find rest. Come on in, take your shoes off. Let, let us serve you to take up the basin and the towel like Jesus did. This is our calling. And, and this is how the early church did it. They lived these basin and towel lives and this is how they grew in the empire when plagues would sweep across the empire and everybody else ran from the cities to try to preserve their own lives so they wouldn't get sick. It was the Christians who stayed in the city to care for the sick and the dying, even at great risk to themselves. And when other families would abandon their babies, it was the Christians who would take these abandoned babies in and adopt them into their families. And it was the Christians who started the very first orphanages and hospitals and universities that the world had ever known because the people of Jesus have always been a basin and towel kind of people. Uh, in our own American history, you might remember that perhaps the two greatest leaders of the civil rights movement were Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. Now, Martin Luther King Jr., on the one hand, was a Christian, and so he practiced and called for this kind of nonviolent resistance that he based on the teachings of Jesus. Malcolm X, on the other hand, was a Muslim, and he called for a more radical, violent resistance to the kinds of injustices that he was witnessing. And if you go to New York City today in Harlem, there's a street that's named after Malcolm X. And it's named after Malcolm X because he would go there to Harlem to recruit young black men for his movement. And he would do it by standing outside of the Christian churches. And as these young men came out of the church, he would say, yeah, but what has your Jesus actually done for this community? And when they couldn't answer, they'd go join his movement. I mean, I don't ever want this town to be able to say that about us. Ever. And I'm, I'm so glad a few weeks ago that Steve shared all the hundreds of families that in our community and around the world that we've been able to help this year because the truth is that we are not just called to be a saving church. We're also called to be a serving church. That we are called both to gospel proclamation and gospel demonstration. A Bible in one hand and a basin in the other. And as we continue to be a church with a Bible in one hand, uh, we're, God's gonna do good things through that. But the danger of being a Bible church is that sometimes it's hard to stay humble. Uh, the Apostle Paul even warns about this in Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. And we know this to be true in our own lives, don't we? When we know that we're the ones who hold the truth and that God is doing good things here and among us, sometimes, uh, like Howard Hendricks one time said, that uh, mankind is the only animal that when you pat him on the, his back, his head swells. <laughs> and, and, and that's true. But the best cure for pride, I think, is that nothing accomplishes cranial downsizing better than taking up the basin and the towel. And this is what Jesus did for us. He's our example in Philippians chapter two, it's this mountaintop text in scripture. Here's what the apostle Paul says about Jesus. Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, Value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul's telling us here that Jesus lived by emptying himself. Jesus himself said that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And of course, the ultimate expression of this was when Jesus said to God the Father, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus went to the cross on our behalf. And now for those of us who follow him, he's calling us to surrender like he did, to lay down our lives like he did, to take up our cross like he did to pick up the basin and the towel like he did. The great Bible teacher, John Stott, describes what this kind of basin and towel life is like. He says, if you wanna live a life of easygoing self-indulgence, whatever you do, do not become a Christian. But if you want a life of self-discovery, deeply satisfying to the nature God has given you, if you want a life of adventure in which you have the privilege of serving him and your fellow men, if you want a life in which to express something of the overwhelming gratitude you're beginning to feel for him who died for you, then I would urge you to yield your life without reserve and without delay to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's our appeal to you today, man. If you are here, but you have not yet fully committed to being a follower of Jesus, if you've not been born again and made new and filled with his Holy Spirit and baptism, please don't put it off. Do not delay any longer because God has a life waiting for you that is beyond your wildest imaginations and he will fill you and he will make you new as you follow him. And it's incredible. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, maybe you're wondering why your life doesn't always feel like that. And here's my challenge for you. Take up the basin and the towel like he did. I don't know where he's calling you to serve like that, to become a servant, but my guess is you know. You can probably see it there in the corner of the room. And he'll call you to pick up the basin and the towel in your marriage and in your parenting or your grandparenting or with your neighbors or at work or in school or with your extended family. Maybe he'll call you to just give a listening ear to somebody who needs a moment of your time or to go the extra mile for your boss or maybe to find a creative way to bless one of your kids or to bless your spouse or bless somebody who's hurting in this season. I don't know what it is, but I do know that he's calling us to live with a Bible in one hand and a basin in the other. And when I think of that kind of lifestyle, I, I think of my grandpa. We call him Papa Gene. I, I think I told you a few months ago about him, how in his battle with cancer, he sat across the table from me and, and he said, Luke, I wanna show you how to live in the face of death. I wanna show you how a Christian man dies. And I'm so thankful for that, that he has said to those of us who are following him, follow me as I follow Christ. And Papa Gene, he's always lived with a Bible in one hand. Um, during his career, he was kind of a big wig corporate executive guy, but every morning before work, if you wanted to find him, you could go downstairs in their house and he'd be there sitting on his chair in his undershirt with his Bible open on his lap. And when a verse stuck out to him, he'd scribble it down on a piece of paper and stick it in his pocket and look at it throughout the day. I can remember even as a kid seeing all the post-it notes of Bible verses all over his desk, and that made an impression on me. He lived with a Bible in one hand 
but a basin in the other. Uh, he started his career as a meat inspector in the military. So he's a guy who always does the little things well. He's not a, not a flashy guy, not a center stage kind of guy. He's more of a behind the scenes guy. When he's over at our house like he was last week, he's the guy who's going around checking to make sure all the smoke alarms have batteries in them, you know, and <laughs> make sure there's enough jugs of milk in the fridge. He's the guy who's going out to the car to carry things in through the rain so nobody else has to get wet. Um, and my grandparents have made a lot of money during their, during their lives, during their career, but, but, but you can't tell by the way he lives. Uh, Papa Jean's life motto is live simply so that others can simply live. And uh, he has spent his retirement years volunteering down at Camp Allendale. And every year for our big family Christmas, instead of spending gobs of money getting all the grandkids extravagant presents, he would maybe get us something uh, real small and, and, and simple. And then they'd use the money that they would have spent on all those other gifts to go uh, help somebody in need in a third world country. Um, and as a kid, I always thought that was kind of a ripoff, to be honest. <laughs> um, but as I look back now, I'm, I'm thankful for that example. And a few years ago, when I got ordained into the ministry, my grandparents gave me a gift. And it was this basin and towel. As a reminder that this call is a call to serve like Jesus has served. And I hope you know that we want to be a place where we model that as a church leadership. I want you to know that this is our commitment to you. Um, as our, our leadership retreat a couple months ago, we gave all the staff and all the elders a basin and a towel. So this is our commitment to you. We're here to serve God, and we want to do that by serving you. We want to be in your lives. We want to know you. We want to serve you and help you. It's our commitment. And this is also my challenge to you, to take up the basin and towel like Jesus did, to love and to serve like Jesus did, because this is how the world is going to know that we're followers of him. This is how we say, follow me as I follow Christ. We take up the basin and the towel. So I guess uh, my, my challenge for you is go get yourself a basin and a towel. Whether you go out and buy one or you grab a bowl and a rag from the cupboard, I don't know what you wanna do, but, but put this up in your office or in your house somewhere. I keep this one in my office as a reminder of what Jesus is calling you to do. And in those difficult moments, you can refocus. And uh, we'd love to see the pictures of what you come up with. Um, it, you can send those in to us. Or you can post them on social media. Use the hashtag Bible and Basin. We'd love to see what you guys uh, put up there and come up with because we wanna be a church that has a Bible in one hand and a basin in the other. We want this to be a common verbiage that we know and understand this is our calling because we want to be able to look around at our families at those who are coming behind us at our brothers and sisters in here and at our town and we want to say follow us as we follow Christ and here's what it looks like a bible in one hand and a basin in the other let's pray Jesus, thank you so much for the ways that you have loved and served us. You've given us so many good things. And of course, the best gift of all, Lord, is yourself, that you came as a servant uh, to die for us so that we could be in your family, so that we can now follow you. And we praise you for that. Thank you so much. We wanna be people who live with a Bible in one hand. We wanna, we wanna know your voice. We wanna live according to your word. We wanna be shaped by you to be like you. Uh, we also want to live with a basin in the other. So my prayer for my brothers and sisters here in the room this morning is just that you would make the call very clear to them. Wherever you are calling them to kind of take up that servant mentality, to serve and love as you have served and loved. Make it clear. Speak, Lord, and we will listen. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love and our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. 
If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week. Oh,